For today's sermon, we'll be going over uh, the scripture from Philippians 2, and I'll be reading that to prepare for the sermon. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy proven worth, how as son with the father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how I will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he is ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and did not only on him, but on, my, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor of such men, for he nearly died and for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As Kyle said, thank you for reading that, Kyle. Um, Philippians 2, um, verses 19 through 30 is where we're going to be. I don't know if you've, uh, whenever you're reading the Bible for yourself at home, whatever book, it doesn't matter, but you come across a text, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, it's called a in-between text, uh, kind of meaning when you're reading a book of the Bible, um, you just get to this passage of Scripture, whether it's a whole long passage or just a few verses, and you just kind of think to yourself, why is this here? I mean, what, 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 what is this here for? And how am I supposed to, to receive this, and how is it supposed to affect my life as a follower of Jesus? An in-between text, you have Scripture, all of Scripture is God-breathed, but then you come across passages every now and then, and you just kind of wonder, what, what's the purpose of this? I don't see, because this passage today, you're not going to see a, a life verse in this passage. You're not going to see a, a verse that you could put on a coffee mug and drink it while you're at home. You know, you're not going to see, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You're not going to see uh, something so practical as uh, partnership in the gospel or loving each other with the affection of Jesus Christ. You're not going to see uh, defending and confirming the gospel. You're not going to see, uh, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with, with prayer and petitions, present your requests to God so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You won't see that in this passage. In fact, one writer says that nobody's favorite verse is found in this passage. So this is a passage of Scripture that we come to, and many of you are like, what's the takeaway here? What's the takeaway? And I love passages like this because, and another reason, I love preaching the Bible, Bible books like we are because you can't avoid passages like this. But here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit of the living God inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words specifically to the church in Philippi. However, the Holy Spirit of the living God preserved these words for us today. I would even uh, venture to say that God preserved this passage 
for Hillcrest Christian Church for such a time as right now. Timothy, uh, or Paul actually writes in 2 Timothy, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This passage today, Philippians 2, 19-30, it matters. God preserved it for us, and so it matters. Every part of this letter that Paul writes in Philippians, God preserved it for our good and His glory. And so let's jump in. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. We'll start in verse 19. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would use it for the edification of the saints, for the men and women in this room. God, may it lead us to service. May it lead us to love. May it lead us to make much of Jesus in our community, in our families, and in the world. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have three points today to help us unpack what Paul is saying here in this passage. My first point is, a godly community carries a genuine concern for those around them. That's what we are, church. We're a godly community. A godly community carries a genuine concern for those around them. I think oftentimes uh, people associate a godly person with someone who maybe is always at church. It's easy to, to just assume that someone's godly because they go to Sunday school. They know a lot of Scripture. They have a lot of the Bible memorized, so they're obviously a godly man or woman. They go to Bible study. They're in a life group. They're in Sunday school, and they go to church. They usually go all the time. In fact, they're always carrying a Bible with them. They must be godly. Uh, when I was, it was about five years ago now, I think, I was in a men's group. It was a Bible study with uh, me and about 12 or 13 other men. And they were all older than me. It was from 28 or 29 or so, I think I was, to about 75. So it was a great group. A lot of life change occurred in that room over the course of those 10 weeks. And we learned a lot of stories about one another. And there was a man in the room who told us a story about his Bible. So he had, a, he had a, a, not only a Bible, but he had a case. So this is my mother-in-law's. I don't typically carry this around, although it is pretty. But he had a case like this, where he carried his Bible in that case. And these are actually pretty great, because not only can you carry your Bible in one of these, but you can carry a snack, too, if you wanted to do that. And so this is a kind bar, and my wife tells me to eat those on Sundays. Obviously, I haven't gotten to it. But you can carry a Bible in there. You can carry uh, maybe a, a notepad to take your notes in. So these are really convenient if you have one of these. You can even carry it just like this. There's various things that you can do with this bag. However, the Bible is in here, right? And this man had one of these. He had a, he had a bag, and he carried his Bible. And he said, for the last three or four years, I've been coming to this church, and I've been bringing my Bible in my bag every single Sunday. I believe the Holy Spirit was convicting him because he said, I haven't picked it up or actually read it or pulled it out of its bag during a service in years. That's what he said. He hadn't read his Bible in years. But he brought it every single Sunday. And he had a fancy leather bag that it could place, be placed in. Yet he had never actually took it out of that bag on a Sunday or read it at home. Just because you carry a Bible in this room or because you have a Bible 
at your house doesn't make, your, make you godly. It just means you own a Bible and you might have spent money on it. Just think about the religious leaders in Jesus' day, specifically the religious sect called Pharisees. Now these men had a lot of the Bible in their day memorized. In fact, it was a requirement for these men to be religious leaders, to be Pharisees, as they were being educated from their youth. It was a requirement for them to have the Torah memorized. That's the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. Think about that. That's Genesis. That's Exodus. That's Leviticus. That's Numbers. That's Deuteronomy. The first five books memorized. If that was a requirement in Bible college today, a lot of people would drop out. I mean, challenge me to memorize Philippians. A lot of takeaway, practical takeaways in that. Or Ephesians. Or Colossians. But Leviticus? Genesis? It's 50 chapters long. I'm not saying that they're not good. They're all good. The Bible is good. It's the Word of the living God. But memorizing it can be challenging. And so for these religious leaders, they had a lot of Scripture memorized. Specifically, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But here's the point. These men were dedicated to the Scriptures. They were dedicated to God's Word. They had it memorized. There was just a problem with this specific religious sect called the Pharisees. Many of them, I would even venture to say that most of them, the Word of God had not affected their hearts. See, what they knew and what they had memorized based on the Bible had not quite translated into their hearts. And do you want to know why? I know that. Because it was the religious leaders like the Pharisees who were often the ones who were opposing Paul when he went preaching. And they were often the ones who opposed Jesus. In fact, they had a huge part in having Jesus crucified on the cross. And anytime, and just like we're reading in our Bible reading, we've, we've been reading the book of Acts, right? You've seen Paul go around preaching the gospel. In fact, he's just sent out in Acts 13 on his first missionary journey. And everywhere he goes, you see the religious leaders. They're grumbling. They don't like Paul. They oppose him. And they're the ones responsible for kicking him out of town or for having him beaten up or for having him stoned. It's the religious leaders who are a part of that. Paul shows us. It's not the most intelligent people. It's not the most gifted people. It's not the most knowledgeable people. It's not the most skilled people. It's not the, the people who have the most money who are the ones who are able to be godly. In fact, I would submit to you that those who are obedient to the Word of God, those are, those, those are the people who are godly. You want to know what godliness looks like? Obedience. Just be obedient. And so Paul says, I am eager to get Timothy to you in Philippi. He says in verse 20, for I have no one like him who. Now, if someone was saying that, let's just make this practical. If someone was saying that about you in your life, for I have no one like him, or I have no one like her who can draw a large crowd and preach with eloquent words of wisdom, for I have no one like him or her who can Build a successful business? Is that what you want maybe for someone to say if they were talking about you? For I have no one like him or her who can memorize so much Scripture. What would you want someone to say about you if they started a sentence in that way? For I have no one like him or her who. Paul says of his friend Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now this is the great Apostle Paul saying this about Timothy. Uh, last week or the week before, I said that Timothy was Paul's mentor. I had that backwards, of course. 
Paul was Timothy's mentor. Paul, was, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. And Paul says, the great apostle Paul of his friend Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now you might be thinking, if that's what it takes to be godly, that's no problem. That's easy. But is it? Is it easy to actually genuinely be concerned for the welfare of other people? Paul says, I have no one else. Paul knew a lot of people, by the way. Paul knew a lot of people. He was older in his years. His ministry was coming to an end, although he was very hopeful that it was going to continue. So he knew a lot of people, but he says of Timothy, look, I have no one else like Timothy. Timothy is, will be genuinely concerned, concerned for every single one of you, so he's eager to get him to him. Timothy just cared for people. That's what Paul's saying. That's all Paul's saying. And so he has a hard time letting him go. I have to keep him here because I just first I want to find out what's going to happen with me. Once we find that out, then I'll release him. But at the same time, eager to get him to Philippi. See, Timothy was a blessing to Paul. Paul wasn't just always a blessing to Timothy. Timothy was a blessing to Paul as well. And this is the kind of thing that you want on your tombstone, right? This is the legacy that you want to leave in this life. It has your name, your date of birth, your birth, and then when you passed. What if it said he was or she was genuinely concerned, concerned for the welfare of other people? Wouldn't that be something on your tombstone? That's a legacy. And that was what Timothy was known for. See, Timothy, was a, he was a pastor. He was a shepherd. He was a church leader. Uh, but Paul doesn't say, I'm anxious to get Timothy to you because he's such a courageous leader in the church. Paul doesn't say, I'm anxious. I'm eager to get Timothy to you because he's such a good preacher. I'm anxious to get Timothy to you because he has so much of the Bible memorized. That's not what Paul says. I'm anxious to get, or eager to get Timothy to you because he knows more about the Bible than anybody else. It's not what Paul says. He says, I'm eager to get Timothy to you because he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. The guy just loves people. He just cares for people. And Philippi, you need that. You need someone who loves you and will care for you. And as a minister at this church, as a church leader at Hillcrest Christian Church, along with our elders and along with our deacons and those of us involved in leadership, we want to be that for every person in this room. We want to care for every person in this room. We want to love every person in this room. Every person who comes through those doors, whether they're a member at this church or not, I want them to feel like they are loved and cared for from the moment they come in and out of the door. That's why serving and greeting matters. There's no small part in this church when you serve. Greeting is a big deal. You're the first people that people interact with as they come into our doors. And I want every person who comes in this church building to feel like they are loved and cared for. I want them to know that every person in this room genuinely cares for them, whether they're a stranger or not. And I hope that's what you want too. And so as a leader of this church, among other leaders, elders and deacons, that's what we want for you. We want you to know that you are loved and cared for by the leaders of this church. And by the way, you should know that. Like if you don't know that you are loved and cared for by the leaders of this church, if you don't feel that, if you don't know that, then we as leaders have missed the mark. And feel free to come alongside us in an appropriate manner and say, say that. Because the Bible says that as leaders of God's flock, we will be held accountable. We want to care and love for you, and we want to do that well. In fact, Paul says, 
in Acts 20. He says, Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. See, Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins by the blood of the cross. And he is he's saying, be, be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There should never be an elder or a dinkid or someone as a pastor or minister who's not called by God. Every elder and deacon must be called by God because they're held accountable to God. And so, hearing it from me, I think, we want to love and care for you and we want to do it well. And I hope you know that. And I hope you feel that. And I hope you're aware of that as well. And that's my hope for our leadership. But I want to tell you, it's not just leadership that should be caring for the flock. You should be caring for the flock as well. Because Paul is saying of Timothy, look, he, he's, he's not just a church leader. He's not just a, a pastor or a shepherd. He's a human being. And he cares for people. And Paul is saying, be like Timothy. It's essentially what he's saying. He's an example for us. So every single one of us should be that for each other. Like, Make no mistake, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if that's who you are, if that's who you claim to be, a follower of the God of the universe, then you are the church. Right? This is a building. We know that. This structure, foundation, it's not the church. You're the church. You are the church of the living God. And we are together. And so Timothy's not doing anything that any one of us can't do. You know that, right? Genuinely concerned for people. So Paul says in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests. Now this is just a general uh, statement about most people in general. For they're all concerned about their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. Paul spent a lot of time with Timothy. Timothy went on some of his missionary journeys and trips to these churches. And even the Philippians were familiar with Timothy. But Paul also raised Timothy up. He also equipped him for ministry. And he says of Timothy, the great Apostle Paul says this to Timothy, he's a rare breed. He's a rare breed. He's a rarity. And why is that? Because out there in the general public, people are self-centered. Out there in the general public, even in the church, they care about their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means a self-centered life will never be a Christ-exalting life. That's what that means. A self-centered life will never be a Christ-exalting life. You should want to do that as a follower of Jesus, exalt Jesus Christ in your life. And a self-centered life will never be that. You will never live a Christ-exalting life if you are self-centered. That's what Paul's saying. And so he's saying that Timothy is the example, not only for you, Philippi, but for Hillcrest. Timothy is a great example. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't know, Jesus is our example. Sure, how many of us always say, Jesus is perfect. We can't, we can't actually be like Jesus, but we can strive to be like Jesus. I would submit to you, Paul's giving a very practical way to be like Jesus. Look at Timothy. Be like Timothy. Timothy's a great example. But ultimately, Jesus is our prime example on how to live in this world as his followers. Because if you love Jesus, like if, you've, if you truly love Jesus, you will automatically love other people and care for other people. It should just overflow out of us. Amen? So let me ask you a question. 
This is for everyone. And obviously you don't have to answer, but just think about it. If all of your prayer requests from right now until next Sunday, all of your prayers that you prayed, if all of those prayer requests were actually answered from today until next Sunday, if every single prayer you prayed was answered, how many lives would be impacted from this moment until next Sunday? All of your prayer requests, if they were actually answered, how many people would be impacted by them? I think for many of us, it could be three. Three people would be impacted. Me, myself, and I. So easy to just be so consumed with ourselves. I'm not saying praying for yourself is bad. Obviously, that's not true. But if the only kind of prayers that you are praying are mostly for you and about you, then that is a self-centered prayer life. I think sometimes we act as if God exists for us. God does not exist for us. God exists for God. And by His grace, we get to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And amen to that. If you were to guess in the last days, maybe some of you have studied the end times and and you've read into kind of the last days. If someone were to ask you, hey, what do you think the world's going to look like in the last days? You know, you might say, uh, oh, there, there probably would be a worldwide pandemic. Churches would be closed, you know. People would begin the coronavirus. Uh, I think the end times would look like that. Or maybe you might say, you know, I think the, the world uh, during the end times, there will be just a worldwide famine. People are just going to starve to death. You might say, there's just going to be wars all over the world. But look what the Bible says about the last days. Paul, he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. That's a sign of the last days, Paul says. And the inspired word of the living God, he says, for people will be lovers of self. And then he goes on, he says, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance, having the appearance of godliness, Paul says, but denying of its power. There's a lot of families across this nation who have more than one Bible in their houses. How many of them are denying it of its power? That's what Paul's saying. Saying in the last days, you're going to know because people will be lovers of self. So, how do, we, how do we move from that in a practical way? And I hope maybe this will help. In our life group, this is all about building community during these couple of months. Getting you plugged in to be doing life with the rest of this church. That's what we're meant to do. We, we, we're all created for community. And in our life group, Chris Reed leads our life group, and we're on a Facebook chat, so everybody in our life group is on there. We, do, we pray and we do prayer requests when we meet, but then all those prayer requests get inserted on that Facebook chat. And so we're not just praying for each other on Thursday, but we're praying over those prayer requests throughout the week. And anytime anybody has something come up and they need help or they need prayer or whatever, you just insert it into that. You could just do a text thread. It could look different for everybody. We should be praying for each other. We saw that in the first week in Philippians 1. Paul says we should be praying for one another. And don't just do it one time a week. You want to start caring for other people in this room? Pray for them every day. Pray for them every day. 
Every other day, set aside time. Write their names on a card. And pray the Word of God over their lives. And do that often. In fact, if you really want to start caring for people in this room, text them. How are you doing? You know, I saw your name on the, on the prayer list. I just wanted to check in with you and just see how you're doing. Is there anything that I can do for you? How can I help serve you? Or a phone call. There's people in this room who haven't been able to come because they've been sick. How many people in this room have called that person or those people? They should be, their phones should be ringing off the hook because of the love that this church has for those people. We should do this together for each other. Text each other, call each other, love each other, care for one another. I did not see Chris sitting right there. I thought he was up there. So get involved in a life group. Aside from guests visiting our church, there should be no strangers in this room. I believe that. Even as our church gets, gets bigger, as more people come, as, as the body of Christ at Hillcrest grows, that's the point of life groups. We get to know each other on an intimate, godly level. If you're not a part of one, you need to get a part of one. You need to be a part of one. God created you for community. And Paul says, I have someone like that who really cares and loves people. His name's Timothy. And Timothy is an example for every single one of us. He's Christ-like. He's godly. Imitate Him. It's essentially what Paul's saying. He goes on in verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. My second point this morning is a godly community serves each other as well as the local body they belong to. A godly community serves each other as well as the local body they belong to. If you belong to Hillcrest Christian Church, you belong to this body of Christ here. So notice Paul, the title that Paul gives Epaphroditus. All in one verse, he says, he's a brother, he's a fellow worker, he's a soldier, he's a messenger. And he's a minister, all packed into one verse. That's Epaphroditus. A worker, a brother, a, a soldier, a messenger, and a, and a minister. And if I were just to sum it up in a sentence who Epaphroditus is, I would say this. Epaphroditus was a willing servant of Jesus who gave his life as a sacrifice to God's church and those who were a part of it. That's who Epaphroditus was. He was a servant of Jesus Christ who gave his life to serving Jesus' church and those who were a part of it. That was Epaphroditus. He was a willing servant and a co-laborer for the gospel with Paul and the church at Philippi. He was a worker. He was a, he was a minister. It simply meant, just meant that he was a servant. Epaphroditus was just a servant in the church at Philippi. And for him to be a soldier just meant that he hoiled for the gospel. He, he suffered for the sake of the gospel. He was a co-struggler for the gospel, for the spread of the gospel. Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi all the way to Rome. Probably took him about nine days to get there. And it says that he got sick. In fact, he got really ill. But it was imperative that Epaphroditus get to Paul. So he co-struggled with Paul. As Paul was in jail, Epaphroditus goes there to minister to Paul, to bring him gifts, to bring him money. Because although Paul was probably nearing death, Paul was still hopeful that he was going to continue to preach the gospel outside of a jail cell. The great Apostle Paul calls Epaphroditus his equal. Like, how amazing is that? The great Apostle Paul looks at Epaphroditus 
and says, he's an equal of mine, a co-laborer, a co-servant, a co-worker, a co-soldier in the gospel. He was a willing servant who gave his life for the sake of God's church. Ultimately what this is, Epaphroditus is showing us what it looks like to worship God in the church. You do it through acts of service. As a servant at Hillcrest, a form of our worship to God is serving this church. Did you know that? Now remember how this church in Philippi started. Uh, Paul brought the gospel to Philippi and he shared the gospel. People believed, people were baptized, and then the church of Philippi was born. And that church became Paul's main financial backing for his ministry. People may have shared with Paul and the gospel by giving financially, but they were the main church, the main group of people that gave Paul money for him to continue to preach the gospel in the region that he did that. And unfortunately for Philippi, they didn't have the opportunity to just Venmo Paul money. It wasn't on the table. It wasn't an opportunity that they had. In fact, they couldn't even text to give like we can. Epaphroditus, they couldn't text 844-4310-556 to give. They didn't have that opportunity. It wasn't on the table. And so, by the way, that's an opportunity for each one of us to give. You don't come for a month because you're sick. You could still give to the furthering of God's kingdom and the work that we're doing here at Hillcrest Christian Church. So the church gathers a bunch of money. That's what they're doing. It's about a nine-day trip there. 18 days round trip. We're looking at three weeks. Someone's going to have to sacrifice their life and without being with their family for about almost three weeks. Let's, we got all this money together. Who's going to go for us? Epaphroditus. Just sitting somewhere in that room. Saying, here am I. Send me. I'll go. I'll take the money to Paul. That's what Epaphroditus says. Now, here am I. Send me. Does anybody recognize that? Portion of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision. He's in the throne room. He falls on his face because of the presence of God. And after this incredible scene is coming to an end, the Lord looks or speaks, says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Now, I think we equate those words with something extravagant, like some kind of extravagant form of service, uh, some profound work of ministry. Here am I. Send me. I'll go to the unreached people groups of the world. I'll pack up my family. I'll quit my job. I'll go to Iran or India where, where it's hardest to be a Christian. I'll go. Here am I. Send me. We equate those words with something profound. I'll preach a sermon. 3,000 people get saved. Here am I. Send me. It's not about packing up your family and going to the unreached. It's not about standing in front of a, a large crowd of people and people walking down the aisle surrendering their lives to Jesus. This is, don't think of here am I. Send me as something so profound. It's simply a willingness to serve in areas that God has already placed around you. Epaphroditus just happened to be in the room. The money's laid out on the table. I'll go. I'm somewhat healthy. I've been working out. You know, uh, I show up to Pilates when other people don't. And so, I'm ready. See, there are people in this room who can serve and do things that other people can't do. God has equipped you. He has skilled you in certain areas that other people don't have. There are opportunities for every person in this room to serve God's church. They're all around. You just have to be willing. Just like Epaphroditus is. And by the way, a part of our worship to God is also giving. 
You see, they were taking money to Paul so Paul could continue his ministry. Nothing has changed. We give because God's Word commands us to give. It's just an act of obedience. I want to encourage you, if you don't give right now, to start giving. The one way the Bible says, test me, the Lord says. And He will bless you in ways you can't even imagine. This isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't giving a buck and getting a thousand. This is being blessed in so many crazy ways. You'll, I, I started giving it the first time many years ago. The Holy Spirit had prompted my heart, just as I've asked God to do the same for, for people in this room. To further God's kingdom by giving. And I started giving. There's times when you just you, you think you can't do it, and then all of a sudden you get a random check in the mail from AT&T that's exactly the amount of money you need. Hadn't been with AT&T in like six months. I'm telling you, God shows up in ways Call those miracles, right? A miracle is not just laying a hand on someone and, and they're, they can walk. Miracles happen every single day. The question is, do you see it? Do you see God moving? And even if it's, it's in a less profound way. And so if you're not giving, God says give your first fruits, your best, as an act of worship to Him. Paul needed money because he was confident that his ministry would continue. So Epaphroditus is willing. He says, here am I, send me, I'll go, and I'll get it to Paul. Epaphroditus was not a superhero. He wasn't a superhuman person. Paul didn't raise him up to be a missionary to the nations. He, he didn't act as if he was supposed to preach in front of large crowds. The way Paul describes Epaphroditus is he loved Jesus he loved the church of Jesus, and he loved serving both Jesus and the church. That was Epaphroditus. He loved people, and he loved to serve. Can the same be said about you, and can the same be said about me? Do we love Jesus, and do we love to serve people, and do we love to serve both Jesus and his church? Earlier this week, uh, Mickey Love and Kevin Craig came up here, and they put together a ping pong table. Now, the Norby brothers actually started that, and they didn't finish it, probably because they're not mechanically inclined. Don't worry about it. Not all of us are mechanically inclined. But Mickey and Craig spent a long time putting that ping pong table together. They didn't have to do that. That's a ping pong table. They could have spent their time doing anything else, but they came up here in the middle of the week to do that. There are no small acts of service at Hillcrest Christian Church. Everything matters. It all plays a part. And you can be involved in that. You should be involved in that. And so if you don't serve right now, I want to encourage you to serve. Get plugged in. If you don't know where to start, come see me after service. Come talk to Kay Love or Kathy Christopher. People that you know and you're comfortable talking with and saying, how can I serve? Point me in the right direction. We will do that. Find an elder or a deacon. The guys who really do a lot of the legwork to make this church function, to make this building intact. Go find someone like that. They will put you to work. There's different ways that God has wired every single person in this room. There's different ways that God has shaped you to serve His church. We're one body, the Bible says, but many parts. So we as leadership, I want to put together different serve opportunities. I want to have different life groups come up to this building when it, you know, the weather permits and have different life groups working on different 
projects, different areas. This building is going on 34 years old. It needs some TLC. And we've got a whole room of people who can help with that. And not only that, but to go out in the community. We want to find different ways to serve. And a way to do that is just go serve with your life group. Go serve with a community of people you feel comfortable with. We will find serve projects for our life groups, and you can go out and serve not only here, but out in the community. How cool would that be? Wouldn't that be amazing? And we're called to do that. The question is, are, are we willing? It's really what it comes down to. Are you willing to serve God's church? Epaphroditus was willing, and he made a huge impact for the kingdom of God. And all he said was, here am I, send me, I'll go. I'll almost lose my life just to get to Paul so I can minister to him. Paul goes on. He says, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. My third and final point is, God's mercy flows through each one of us as we serve and do life together. God's mercy flows through every single one of us as we serve and do life together. Paul says God had mercy on Epaphroditus. He almost died on his trip to me. And then Paul says he didn't only have mercy on Epaphroditus, but he had mercy on me because he was coming to serve me. Had he have died, Paul says, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. That would have been hard for Paul. But not only did God have mercy on Paul in that way, God had mercy on Paul because Epaphroditus came to minister him in a very desperate time of need. Paul was in jail. Now, in Scripture doesn't tell us, but uh, many people believe that Paul's head was cut off. That's how he died. He was martyred, of course. Many believe that it wasn't long after he was in jail in Rome, but Paul's still very hopeful that he was going to continue on to serve Christ and his church. And, and Paul says, God's mercy to me was that this man came to me in my desperate time of need. He came to my aid. Financially, sure. But the Bible says that he ministered to him. That he served him. We don't know how long the conversation went. How long even Epaphroditus stayed there. But we know that it helped Paul in a very desperate time. See, God has mercy on every single one of us. And a lot of times, God's mercy flows through one person into the other. How many of you have struggled with something in your life? And sure, you can go to the Bible, and that's encouraging, but you just feel like there's nobody else who knows, and then somehow, someway, God provides a person who's been through exactly what you have been through. And you're more willing to talk to that person than maybe someone who's never gone through what you've been through. That's God's mercy to you. And praise God for that. But God says He had mercy not only on Epaphroditus, but myself as well. Now, I don't know if you remember, last fall I preached a sermon. Well, I preached a lot of sermons, most of them actually in the fall. But then also the last sermon I preached of, of 2020. And I asked you to write on note cards two different times what you've experienced. You know, the, the hardships that you faced. Prayer requests that you had that maybe you didn't want anybody to know. I had you post them on the cross one time. And then we had you put them in a box at another time. Now, I didn't ask for your names, and none of the names are on the cards, uh, but I started praying over those myself, my wife. We don't know who exactly we're praying for, but we've been praying for those. But here's the cool thing. I may not know who wrote what, 
but God our Heavenly Father knows. And I've been praying over those. Now here's the cool thing about being a part of the local body of Jesus Christ, the living God. When you go to a life group and you get more comfortable with people, you can start sharing those things that you might not necessarily share with the whole body. And you have people that are praying alongside you. That's what the Bible says. We share our burdens. We share in our sufferings. And we pray for one another. Uh, This past week, uh, someone in our life group shared something that they had concerns about. They were struggling with. And it was amazing because so many people piped up and said, well, here, you try this or try that. Or maybe look into trying this. Did you know that if you ask the Holy Spirit, He'll help you? A room full of people, 10, 12 people, encouraging a brother in Christ. That's the church. Paul says, do you know why I'm so eager to get Epaphroditus to you? Because he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why I'm so eager to get you plugged into a life group? It doesn't benefit me. It benefits you. God created you for community. And God's mercy to every single one of us flows through the next. By His grace. By His grace. And there are multiple people in this room who may not be involved in a life group. I just want to encourage you. I pray God's Spirit leads you to do that. Because we're meant to share in our sufferings and we're meant to share our burdens. I want to close with this. Paul says this in verse 29. He says, So receive Him in the Lord with all joy. He's talking about Epaphroditus. And he says, And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So this passage doesn't say much about Epaphroditus. I would argue it says enough, but it doesn't say much. It doesn't say how Epaphroditus came to know Jesus. It doesn't give us testimony. See, we know how Paul became a Christian. It was pretty profound. But we don't know how Epaphroditus came to know the Lord. However, there is something that we know about Epaphroditus. He wasn't raised in a Christian home. He wasn't raised worshiping the Jewish God. His name, actually, is very pagan. We know that Epaphroditus grew up in a Gentile home. A non-Jewish home. Very pagan name. It means belonging to Aphrodite. That's what Epaphroditus' name means. Belonging to Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite was the goddess of sex. Very, very prominent little G goddess being worshipped in that land at that time. Many, 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 many people worshipped Aphrodite. And Epaphroditus' name is after that. Belonging to Aphrodite. So you could say, Epaphroditus, I belong to the goddess of sex. Very pagan, very worldly. In other words, his name tells us that he wasn't raised in a Christian home. He was influenced by the world and all that the world had to offer. Until one day, Aphrodite stumbled into the church at Philippi, I imagine. Maybe somebody invited him. Wouldn't that be something? And uh, he just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ being spoken. They probably had some form of the scriptures maybe by that point, but they're preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ nonetheless. And Epaphroditus just happened to be there. And he got saved. And he got baptized. And he started to follow Jesus. And he became a member of the church in Philippi because he heard the teachings of Jesus and his life was transformed. And here's what's so cool. See, Epaphroditus, he went from belonging to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex, to belonging to Jesus. His life was changed. His life was transformed. And do you see who he became? He became Epaphroditus, who was a willing servant of Jesus, who gave his life as a sacrifice to God's church and those who were a part of it. We don't know if he became the next Billy Graham. He certainly didn't become the next Apostle Paul because there's no scriptures in the Bible that are written by Epaphroditus. 
No inspired word of God coming from him. He wasn't Billy Graham. He wasn't preaching in front of masses of people. He was Epaphroditus who was a willing servant of Jesus who gave his life as a sacrifice of God's church or to God's church and those who were a part of it. That's his legacy. And you know what? That can be every person's legacy in this room. A servant of Jesus Christ and a servant of God's church and a servant of those who are a part of it. And so Paul says this about Epaphroditus. Honor men like him. Honor men like him. The great Apostle Paul. Honor men like Epaphroditus and Timothy. They were just ordinary people who were faithful and obedient, simply saying yes to the opportunities that were in front of them. You and I can do that too. There are opportunities for every person in the room right now to serve God's church, to serve in the community. All you have to do is be willing, church. And so that's our takeaway. We want to serve each other well, get plugged into life groups, pray for one another, and serve the church of Jesus Christ. Here and in the community. There are so many things that have happened in this room and, and outside of this building that have been worked on by people in the room. People working on the baptistry, Robert Goolsby. John Wierembowski fixing curves and that beautiful cross and a thousand different other things. Mark and Kathy Crisville studying God's Word on a Saturday to bring it to the youth on a Sunday. Countless things that Mickey Love has done. Kay Love. Kimberly Hardaway, who's a treasurer here at this church, works for free. Kyle Hardaway, who's just completely restructured our website. The list goes on and on and on. Wes, who's sanitizing the building. There's something to be said. Larry Bergen driving all the way from Sherman to use the, the Bible knowledge that he has to, to teach his peers God's word. Wheels on wheels. All the people involved with that. The Norby family. What haven't they done? Church, there are ways for you to be involved. Jody and Debbie, uh, Jody Williams and Debbie Chan, who are working tirelessly helping Expressions of Emmanuel, one of our missionary partners. And then did you see all the men last week, was it, that they brought that ginormous table that's out there from the stairs? I think Zane Williams was like underneath it. Somehow they got it down. That's what serving the church is. It's various different things. But they all matter. And they all contribute to the glory of God. So I invite every single person to be a part of that. And so let's stand and worship. And just be thinking, how can... How can I be a part of what Hillcrest is doing and get involved?